0: So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel. Today we will be in Matthew chapter 24, and we will arrive at Matthew 24 verse 1 in just a few moments. So go ahead and find your place there. And I want us to begin today by me telling you about a a small town where there were two churches. And these two churches had pastors who were very good friends. They had coffee together. They met and prayed together. They laughed and played together. But both of them were leading churches whose membership was beginning to decline. the, The attendance was down. The giving was down. The participation was down. And... So they got together and decided, here's what we can do. Let's let's just join our congregations together. I mean, let's just make one congregation out of the two of them. And it sounded like a a great idea. The challenge was that they were from two different denominations, right? Yeah. One was a Christian church and one was a Baptist church. And so they decided to go to their congregations and have little town hall meetings and talk about it like you do, you know. Well, it went really well at the Christian church. They had their town hall meeting, and they said, you know, we, we love our Baptist neighbors. We love their traditions. We, we especially love their music, and, and so, yeah, we're in. Didn't go so well at the Baptist church. Yeah, they gathered together for their town hall meeting, and we knew that it had come to a, a, um, an impasse when in the middle of a heated moment in that meeting, a man stood up in the middle of the room and said, the no, pastor I was born Baptist, and I, I, I was raised Baptist. I, I raised my family Baptist. I've been Baptist my, my whole life, and not you nor anybody else is going to make a Christian out of me. <laughs> right? <laughs> Change is not always easy. We all struggle at some level, at some point, with the changes that come into our lives with or without our permission. This is why for the last several weeks, today being number six, we have been in a series called Morph, navigating life through seasons of change. And on that first Sunday when we gathered together, I I tried to point out that, well, we're part of a universe that is constantly changing. It's ever expanding and changing all around us and above us. Even the earth beneath our feet is shifting always. It's never not in motion. Even the very bodies that we, that, that we have that make up our, our constitution are constantly shedding and gaining new cells all the time. And the changes that we experience, sometimes uninvited, may not be something to resist. But rather the change that comes to our families, our workplace, our relationships may be the very venue in which we encounter the presence and action of God like we never have before. And then on week number two we had a special guest, Joel Gregory, came and Joel provoked us with the possibility that if Christ is, or as, as Jenny pre- preached just a moment ago in music, as God is calling us God is always calling us to a realm of risk, and he provoked us by suggesting that a riskless faith is no faith at all. So if you're being beckoned to the realm of risk, say yes, because that's where Christ is. The next week, as we gathered together again, expecting Dr. Gregory to be with us, I improvised a sermon about unexpected change and we talked about Jesus sleeping in the boat during a storm and we talked about the possibility that sometimes when storms are are all about us on the exterior of our lives, it may be the opportunity to awaken the Christ that is in us. The next week we had George Lyons, a buddy of mine from Virginia. He came and he suggested that there are some changes that are so devastating that they change it the story forever. It may even cause you to want to quit the thing that you're doing. Some changes leave us debilitated, paralyzed, but he said you can't quit. Get back in the game. Finish that thing that Christ has started in you. And that's what George called us to consider as we morph together. The next week, which was last week, was Meredith Stone, who preached a phenomenal sermon about how sometimes God uses change to switch the trajectory of our lives. She preached about five very little-known women in the Old Testament who made some decisions that changed the course of time for a whole ancestry. And she provoked us to consider that the thing happening in us, in you, in me, may be a trajectory-changing story. And to say yes to it, well... That's why we've been talking about change, right? And no matter who you are, every realm of the human experience will see change. But not only is change inevitable, I have been wanting to suggest to you that change is not just inevitable, but change is the God given invitation to encounter God like we never have before. In other words, change happens. Life morphs, (laughs) and God is in it. This can be said about individuals, about you, your family, your marriage. It can be said about all systems, groups of people, but it especially can be said about Churches. The truth is, you and I at JCBC, we are poised for some extraordinary change just around the corner. Some exciting changes that have been in the makes for a very long time. We've been in conversation for a long time about expanding our worship options here at Johns Creek. And we all know that it's coming. It's very exciting. You can see the construction, you can see the dust as it begins to to fly at that end of the campus. But, beloved, today I want to talk to us about what we have to do to prepare the mind, the heart, and the collective soul of this body to navigate the changes that are just around the corner. You know, we can't start to talk about what's around the corner without stopping first to acknowledge how we got here. It may be that you're, you're here for the first time or the first time in a long time. And, and I think what St. Augustine said about the gospel is true to, to this particular situation. St. Augustine said, hey, you know what? Sometimes the gospel is best heard when it's overheard. Well, today, if you're a guest with us, you get to hear us talk some JCBC family talk. You get to overhear what has been happening in us and among us as we have attempted to interpret what God is calling us to become in our next era of faithfulness. So the first two years of my time with you, and we're approaching five years here at the end of the year, and in my first two years as pastor here, I've told you before that I was approached with a particular question in hallway conversations and, and phone calls and, and coffee time dialogue, emails. <laughs> Plenty of emails. I was approached with a question, would we ever entertain the possibility, as extraordinary as worship already is here at JCBC, would we ever consider the possibility of expanding the options for worship because we have some families who have chosen to go to other congregations and we want to retain them. Would we ever consider a new worship service, an additional one? Well, for two years, we kept that conversation simply in in the hallways and on 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 the email chains and in small groups. But then in 2015, at my State of the Church address... I suggested right here standing on this platform that perhaps now it's time to have the conversation. I said, that's what healthy churches do. That's what spiritually mature bodies of believers do. We look at each other in the face and we say, this is what I perceive. What do you perceive? And we discern together what we think it is that God is up to in us. And so I called us into a discernment period, an intelligent congregational dialogue. We appointed a worship study group, and for months, the only thing they pursued was one question. Why? Why do we worship, and why would we consider changing how we worship or adding to how we worship? Because we believe that if you don't understand your why, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you're involved in, if you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, then all the who, what, where, and when won't ever matter. So in the midst of that rhythm, those months of asking why, we discerned that it was time to invite the entire congregation into the discussion. So the following January, one week, one year to the date, we began what we called the worship dialogues. And the entire congregation gathered for discussion about what we perceive God is up to. Who are we when we're at our best What is it that God is calling us to be? And is there anything distinctive about JCBC that we've not experienced outside of this campus? And some really interesting things began to emerge. Some themes that we began to hear in one another began to emerge to the surface. You know what we said when we spoke to one another? There were a dozen things that we think are distinct about who we are, but the top three were these. Music. A message and community. By far, far and away, more than any other observation, the collective soul of us, the reflection of all of us, these three rose to the top. What do we mean by that? That music to all of us is a powerful agency for worship. Now music means something different to everybody, doesn't it? Right. What's on your playlist when you're running on the treadmill may not be what's on my playlist when, you're, when I'm running on the treadmill because mine's a very short playlist. <laughs> but music means something different to everyone. But what we said when we gathered in the same room together was music is powerful to help lift the very depths of who we are up to the Lord. We also said that the message is a distinctive here and and we partly meant the sermon because the sermon is something that you can kind of tolerate here you know but what we really meant i believe was that we have a message about this Jesus life that we interpret we have a message and it means when we gather around the scripture around an open bible we bring open minds that means when we gather in bible study for example you bring your experience Your neighbor brings her experience, I bring mine, and we bring different approaches and with a mutual respect and an openness to interpret, we interpret the scripture as best we can understand it. And no one crams dogma down your throat here, but from the bottom up we discern what it means together. We have a moderate theology. We ordain women unabashedly. We affirm the role of men and women in all areas of church leadership, and that's distinct. You don't get that everywhere. We also said that community is one of the strongest elements of who we are, that in our Sunday school mechanism, this is how we pay attention to each other. This is how we love each other, that community is strong at JCBC, and it's distinct. It's a different kind of community. We're not meant to do life alone. Well, see, all these themes began to emerge as we were in these worship dialogues, so we assembled them into a report. <laughs> it's a very Baptist thing to do. And In this report, we presented them to the church, and something interesting happened. We acknowledged that some of the things that we were saying began to have trends to them. For example, one of the questions that we had asked ourselves is, do you personally have a hunger, a desire for a contemporary worship service. And 26% of the respondents said, no, not me personally. But 30% said, yes, me personally, I do. But when we changed the question and said, okay, whether or not you need it, would you support the addition of a new service if it meant other sisters and brothers at JCBC had their needs met? 66% of the respondents said, yep, we're in. But most exciting was the last question of all, which was this. If it meant that we reached an audience that we have never reached before, would you support the creation of an additional worship service? And 77% said yes. If it means we reach those we've never reached before, then let's do it. And it became a bit of a game changer for us because here's how the narrative switched. Are you with me? Are you with me? Here, Come on now. This is how the narrative switched. Because for the longest time, we know this is how we worship in this place. And it's distinct. You can't can't get this everywhere. And we knew that that was distinct. But in the worship dialogues, we discovered there are some other distinctives that are powerful. Message, music, community. And then we began to imagine if there are families who authentically, genuinely are drawn to the contemporary worship environment, the trouble is when they say yes to go to those environments, it means for many of them they have to relinquish all these other distinctives about JCBC on their way out the door. And then we said together, if that's the case, then let's start another service for the sake of the gospel of Christ. So we gathered in May of 2016, and we decided to vote another good Baptist thing to do. And guess what? The church unanimously decided, yes, we're in. If it means that we reach those who we have never reached before, then by all means, why in the world would we not experiment in the name of Christ and say yes? And then we followed that vote. With a campaign, we needed to raise 3.2. You raised 3.6 in pledges, 111% of our goal, putting an exclamation point on our desire to be faithful to the call of Christ in this place. Now, that's how we got where we are. And can I just tell you, and I want you to hear me say this as your pastor. When I tell that story, to my friends and my colleagues in ministry all over the place at other churches, I am proud of you. I am, I am proud of you. Not simply because of where we have come in this decision, but how we got here. Because we did a thing together. We made a choice together. And when I tell that story, I delight in the congregational courage that is in you. I delight in the reality that you have chosen to see something bigger than any of us and have said yes to it. And now that I've finished handing you some flowers, now I need to talk to you as your pastor and remind you to expect to feel differently. Anytime change comes to any system at all, the system itself feels different, even if it's nothing but glorious and wonderful good news, the birth of a baby. Yet the birth of the baby means the sleep patterns change. Can I get an amen, Adam? Right, Meredith? So I got to tell you, I looked all over town for one of these mobiles. The mobile that you see on the screen there, the hanging mobile, isn't that beautiful? Just hangs from the ceiling, kind of it's kind of mesmerizing to watch the wind kind of just move it around. Isn't that beautiful? And I wanted to bring it in here and talk to you about it because that's the illustration I'm going after, but, you know, Target didn't have one. <laughs> Walmart didn't have one. But our nursery downstairs did. So there are crying babies right now, downstairs. <laughs> Just kidding, I asked permission. This is a baby's mobile, right? The fascinating thing about these mobiles, i am try to get it as still as I can. Is that no matter where you touch it, No matter what part of the mobile where I I tug, watch, watch this, the whole thing moves. I can pull this guy right here and those other two guys over there. Feel it. Even if all the action is only concentrated on this one part of the system, this mobile, you can't move this system without the whole system feeling it and the, the beauty and the message of this is when one part of the system experiences change the whole of the system feels it not just with baby mobiles but at home so maybe you send your your oldest to college for the first time. And and you think, and the whole family thinks, the person who needs to do most of the adjusting is her because she's got to arrange her schedule. She's got to find where her classes are. So she's got to start budgeting. So she's really going to endure all the change. She is. She's the one moving away. But she moves away, and you come back home, and it's a little brother who feels sad. Or at your at your work, maybe your company is downsizing, and you realize your, your job is safe, but your colleague has lost his job, and suddenly all the responsibilities that he had now have to be diffused all throughout the system. So now you've got more tasks on your plate when there's change in one part of the system. The whole system feels it. The same can be said in church. There will be changes that you feel because of this new arrangement as we expand to become faithful to what we believe God is calling us to do. For example, even in this very room right here. Hmm. In this room, you know, on the first few Sundays, it may be that you decide to go and worship in the contemporary worship service. It may be that some of you decide to stay here and never go to that worship service. It may be that some decide to go and after a few weeks decide to return. Regardless of what you do, do you, you realize there will be some empty seats temporarily in this room. And it will, watch, feel different. It may be that you feel the motion in our system out in the parking lot because somebody who is new, who's coming to the church for the first time ever, maybe didn't know that's where you typically park on Sundays. (laughs) That's okay. Just come park with me out by the soccer field and we'll walk to our car together. Do, do you know that everybody's gonna feel something regardless of which service we attend? Do you know what they told me? My tech guys, do you know what they told me? See, part of this magic is gonna be that we're gonna take a camera that hangs from the ceiling in the back there and they're gonna catch the six foot one version of me and make me six foot two, which is awesome, really. <laughs> and they're gonna project that image into the other room. But you know what they said? The bad news, Sean, is you can't walk around as much as you used to. Tell me where I can walk. <laughs> We're thinking that we might have to put, like, those little flags in your yard. <laughs> you know, with a shock collar when you're training your dog. So when I get close, it's, you know. Just... The point... <laughs> When there's change in one part of the system, the whole system feels it. It doesn't mean it's bad or good. It's just a feeling. But there are three gifts that you can give to this church that help your sisters and brothers navigate the change that's ahead. Three gifts or or graces that you can choose to give to this church. And the first grace is this, patience. We have to be patient. We've never done this before. And contrary to the rhythm of the outside world, when we go out and we become and act like we are the masters of the universe, we have to confess and hear there are some things that we're new to, that we haven't figured it all out. There will be wrinkles to iron out, and technologically there will be glitches that need to be overcome, and we will with patience. See, I think that's a decent message for most of us to hear, especially those of us who live in the North Atlantic Rim or the North Atlanta Rim. In this environment where we're all so highly motivated and capable and successful, you and I are typically prone to fall into the pitfall of perfectionism. The pitfall of perfectionism. See, there's a difference between Offering something that is excellent to the Lord because the Lord is worthy of it, and offering something that is perfect. See, offering excellence is our desire to say something about God, (laughs) but trying to be perfect is a desire to say something about us. We don't have this figured out yet, and it requires patience along the way. If you go to the worship service in the contemporary venue one Sunday, I'm just going to tell you, it may be too loud. Next Sunday, it may be too quiet. And even as we're trying to figure out what is the JCBC sweet spot when it comes to contemporary worship, because contemporary worship music is all over the board. On the one end, it's very mellow. On the other end, there's a mosh pit. Where is our sweet spot? We will find it in time if we are patient. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. It comes out of a cultivated interior life. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. One of the gifts, one of the graces that you can give to your church is the gift of patience. And I say that partially because some of you have emails ready to send on Monday. (laughs) Hold off and be patient. The second grace or gift that you can give your church as we all feel the shift in the system, prayer. Now, you would expect the pastor to say that, wouldn't you? You would expect the pastor to say something spiritual like that. But I beg you to go beneath the surface of that request. When I talk about prayer, I'm talking about in your daily, relentless, unceasing prayer life, morning, noon, and night, I'm asking you right now to lift up your church. I'm asking you to pray every day for your leaders Pray for Adam, pray for Glenn, pray for me, pray for the volunteers who make this thing happen in both venues every Sunday, and pray for you. Because Lord, I'm a part of a church that said yes to something. And I recognize that puts me on the hook for something. Show me what you need from me so that we may glorify you in what we're attempting to do. You can pray. And in your praying, you give a gift to the system that is feeling a shift. The third gift and grace is not only patience and not only prayer, but the third grace that you can give your church is presence. Presence. Be here. <laughs> Be here, physically, bodily, at 6910 McGinnis Ferry Road, this can't happen without you. See, you have a distinct take on God. Your experience with God, your interpretation of God, your encounter with God is singular in the universe. Nobody has encountered God precisely the way you have. So when you are absent from this place, a part of understanding God's character is absent from this place. You've got to be here. So today I'm going to ask you to do something at lunch or sometime this afternoon. I want your family to do an attendance audit. An attendance audit. Ask yourself, how many times have I been to church in the last month? Well, but it's summer. Okay, in May, how many times did you come in May? Well, but it was graduation and it was, okay. April, how many times did you come in the month of April? You pick a month and ask yourself, how many times did I physically get here? And then commit that between now and Christmas, you come, wait for it, brace yourself, deep breath, every Sunday. What, are you crazy, Son? Yes, I'm crazy. Every Sunday, what we do here is crazy. Who, in their right minds, would carve out on a weekend time to gather with others and listen to people talk and sing together? Well, people who are hungry and thirsty for something deep, that's who. Be here. These are graces that you can give as we feel something different. And the reason you got to be here is not just to be here. But because if we are bringing in folks who have never come, perhaps folks who are giving us a shot for the very first time, our guests need to come into a place where in both rooms there is a critical mass ready to love them into the church, ready to welcome them and love them into the church. That requires you and your distinct impression of God. Bring that with you too. We must be patient, we must be prayerful, we must be present. But beloved, there is one thing more important than anything I've said thus far. There is one thing that we can do that makes all the difference. We have to remember the thing behind the thing. The thing behind the thing. We do a lot of things around here. We worship, we do missions, we do, we do Bible study. We do a lot of things, but there is one thing behind all the things. And if we forget the one thing, it all implodes see there's a story and and i asked you to turn to it in a moment ago in, in the bible in matthew's gospel jesus is walking away from the temple he's walking away from the church which is a provocative image for me he's he's frustrated and the text says he's walking away from church which is really raising an interesting question in me these days what would it take to tick jesus off so much that he would leave the church Because there he is in the temple, this magnificent edifice, the temple, and the system that was put in place to help liberate people so they can know God and love God and be loved by God. But like is so often the case, religion had become so complex and so complicated that it became a barrier to the very thing they were supposed to do. They had forgotten the thing behind the thing. And the text begins this way. As Jesus came out of the temple... And was going away, his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. Then he asked them, "You see these things, do you not? Truly, I tell you, not one stone will be here left upon another; all will be thrown down." And it's a powerful moment, and if you don't look for it, you can miss it easily. Jesus is frustrated because they had forgotten the thing behind the thing, and he's walking out of the temple. And the disciples say, "Well." chill, relax, Jesus. Take just a, take a moment and look. Look at this beautiful building. And Jesus says, yeah, I see it. I see these things. See, Gordon MacDonald in his book, Who Stole My Church?, which is a great book. Gordon MacDonald said, in this passage, there's an interesting thing that happens in the words that take place. First, we hear the word temple. That's big, massive, beautiful. He's leaving the temple. And the disciples say, well, hang on, Jesus. Look at these buildings. And Jesus says, yeah, I see these things. I tell you, not one stone will be left upon another. In other words, all things will become rubble. And Gordon MacDonald points out, check out that downward spiral. Temple, buildings, things, stones, rubble. And such is the fate of any church who forgets why it exists. I don't care how fancy we get, how clever we get, how multi-venued we get, no matter how excellent we do what we do, if we forget the thing that lies behind the thing, it all becomes rubble. And what is the thing behind the thing? Just this. To proclaim to every man, woman, boy, and girl The good news of Jesus Christ. To make sure that every mortal who breathes on this planet is aware that residing in them right now, even contrary to their deepest belief, residing in them is the holy presence of God's love. And they can yield to it. They can open their lives to it. And it can change everything And when I imagine our two-venue worship service, do you understand that your pastor doesn't dream about the screens and the technology and all the fancy things we're about to do? I dream about hungry and thirsty people filling both rooms and eating and drinking deeply of Christ. That is the thing behind the thing. If we forget it, we're doomed. But if we remember it, it's the kingdom come to earth. (laughs) Thanks be to God. Yeah, let's pray. God, we believe deeply. Lord, we believe in our minds and hearts what you said, that the kingdom can come in earth as it is in heaven that this life that you describe the life of beauty and grace and forgiveness and, and reconciliation and peace, that kind of life is available now, Lord. We believe you. We believe that nothing we do here matters if we forget that. Help establish in the hearts and minds of your people here in this place a defiant, uncompromising devotion to the thing behind the thing. Help us to be patient, yes. Help us to pray, yes. Help us to be present, yes. Show us today the power of remembering you working in the lives of us as we love others into the kingdom, Lord. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.